Hi, everyone. It's Bob Bidet to welcome you to the fourth episode of Everything Thought Leadership and to tell you about an exciting development at this firm, a development that I think is even more exciting than the publication of my new book, which, as you all know, I've been excited about for the last three months. The development is our hiring of Alan Alpert. Alan comes to us after 15 years of driving thought leadership at Cognizant, that IT services and business process outsourcing powerhouse that many of you know. You might think, by the way, that the term powerhouse is an overused term. I don't think that that's the case in this instance. Cognizant is an $18 billion revenue company with a market valuation of $46 billion. And that revenue is nine times the revenue of the company when Alan joined Cognizant back in 2007. Alan will be a linchpin of my aspiration of making Boudet Thought Leadership Partners the most important thought leadership consulting firm in the world a firm that companies and nonprofit organizations turn to to help them capture, develop, deliver, and create demand for superior expertise. Importantly, Alan shares that aspiration too. And as the hundreds of people who have worked with Alan over the years have found, he has the right skills, he's got great skills, the right temperament, and the right character, especially character, to be my co-pilot in this quest. Now you can read more about Alan and his background in a press release on the Boudet TLP site. You can find that press release in the update section and that's under the thoughts menu. And in the interview that's going to follow here, you can hear more about how Alan sees the thought leadership profession evolving over the rest of this decade, the opportunities for organizations that compete on thought leadership and what he believes they must do to become the go-to experts in their domains. Hello, Alan. Welcome to Boudet TLP. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. Looking forward to working with you. Same here. Same here. Absolutely. So I thought in this time, uh, we would talk about things that anybody who's watching this might be interested in learning about. They can get your bio details on LinkedIn and our, and our Teams page. But I thought we would uh, look at what you want to do starting today and going forward over the next five whatever years and uh, things you want to accomplish at, at this stage of your career, looking back at your career and uh, things you have decided are key to success with thought leadership. And then maybe finally, uh, the big changes ahead in what you see about how companies will use and market and, and compete on thought leadership. Sounds perfect. All right. So what do you, at this stage in your career, you know, what, what, um, what do you want to accomplish? Yeah, and it's a good question. And I've been spending a lot of time thinking about it because I've had a distinguished career, had a lot of bylines. I've been part of major thought leadership initiatives from books and research reports and white papers through, you know, really thoughtfully put together short form content, whether it is blogs or what I call transmedia points of view that have lighter text with the great rich visualizations, be they data visualizations or animations and whatnot. I'd like to take all of that and, and really go to the next level with it. I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time helping uh, smart people look and sound smarter, and I want to continue that. I want to get to the point in my career where, you know, what I do is taken really seriously by the industries and the clients that we serve and elevating really smart subject matter experts to that next level where 
They're really respected for their breakthrough thinking and helping them to create the eminence that they richly deserve. Sounds great. So you've been in thought leadership, and I see your, your office assistant through the, the doors. We He's have got two... some strong beliefs as well. We'll try to keep him on the side for now. We have two little office dog office assistants as well that you've seen. <laughs> Can I let him in? Sure. Okay. Let's let him in. Let's let Nigel. This is Nigel. Okay. Everybody in thought leadership needs a, you know, a helper. Needs a, a lot of help. Yes. This is a this is a team sport, as they say. <laughs> when you look at your your 15 year career of thought leadership, in thought leadership at Cognizant, and you've been plugged into other what other organizations are doing. As, as we all are. We want to know how so-and-so is doing thought leadership and the struggles and the successes and all that. If you look back on your career and, and listening to others, what, what do you see as the, the three to four or five key success factors in, in doing this well? Right. Well, I mean, I think you have to come to this with uh, you know, a lot of humility. You've got to realize that while you may be a great storyteller, you have to do your homework to really understand first what the story is. You have to make sure that you really fully understand the themes and the ideas that underlie great thought leadership or any kind of initiative that you're trying to create eminence around. And that ultimately you can be an extension of your subject matter experts to the degree that you're answering their questions or anticipating their questions or completing their sentences. So, you know, I think initially, you know, again, the areas I've worked in have been very technical, you know, in, in IT services and business process consulting. And, you know, this, the smart people that you work with sometimes are not the, the best equipped to really drive home the key elements of the story. So you've got to work with them to really understand, distill at its essence what the idea is. And you have to be able to challenge them. You have to, you know, just not accept on face value that they have really thought it through, they may think that they understand it. And to their, you know, really uh, smart folks and colleagues that they hang with, they think that they've got it all nailed down. But for the, the rest of us, it needs a lot of help. It needs, it needs underlying evidence. It needs facts and figures. It needs case examples to show that it's not just uh, kind of uh, just vapor. It's, it's real. It's, it has real impact, that it's, it's provable in the real world. And sometimes, you know, the real smart people that you work with, they're not really willing to, they don't want to give and take. They want to just have you just figure out how to tell this story. But you have to really challenge them. And challenging them means to, to do a lot of deep study and a lot of research to understand the ideas, not to be an expert, to, to, but to be a, a, a great confident and, and sound sounding board. You really need to know what it is that they want to say. So you can't shape the argument until you know what the argument is, I guess, is the key thing there. From there, it's, it's about gaining their respect and their confidence that you've, because you've done the research, you're a good partner. You can, you can help them to tell the story and ultimately be their, their muse. And to gain their confidence, of course, it really means that you not only uh, know the subject matter really well, but you can help them to develop their ideas and you can really pick and shape how best to tell the story. Yeah. And lastly, you know, I, I think it, thought leadership takes a village. It really requires that you bring in people early on 
who can help to not only assemble the idea, but to understand the best container for telling the story. Everybody thinks that, you know, well, I'll just write a blog on the idea. And if it were that easy, everybody would be doing it. And just because it's, you know, 500 to 750 words doesn't mean it's easy to do. You still have to build a watertight argument. You have to understand how it is you want to convey the idea, the tone, the evidence that underlies it, the examples. It's not just, you know, right off the top of your head and whatever appears in your head then appears on, uh, you know, the, the bits and bytes on your screen. It's a lot more involved than that. So it takes a lot of choreography. It, it, it takes, you know, a, a, a complementary team of people who can help to not only write, but to copy edit, to create good graphics, to create animations and data visualizations. So your idea stands out so that it's distinctive, so that you can help your organization win in the marketplace of ideas and, and gain the eminence that you really desire. So you've been working around a lot of digital related topics in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, seen that the volume, the amount of competing points of view on any of these digital topics, have you seen that increase slightly over those 15 oh. years, increase significantly? And, and if so, the latter, then what, you know, what does that mean for people who are trying to, at, at companies well, with democracy or others? There's a lot of Me Too thought leadership out there. There's a lot of people out there who just think, well, this is important. Let's write something on the topic. But you need something distinctive. You need something breakthrough. You, need, you, you just need to really do your homework as a group to understand what it is you want to say and what's the best way to say it. What is that container that's going to help you to distinguish your perspective from others out there? So it's very interesting to see everybody needs an idea. Everybody thinks they need a point of view, say, on a topic like cloud. But as you and I both know, the cloud has been kind of uh, in development and in use pretty much for the last 20 plus years. There's really nothing new or novel to say about it other than, so what are the benefits of, of doing cloud-based services? What, what are these distinctive ways of doing it differently? What's the evidence to show that you actually have some value at the end of the day? And, and ultimately, you know, when you think about it, what can you say that others haven't said that will uh, really position you as a, a thought leader on the topic? It's not just, let's just write something about th- cloud. It, it, it takes a lot of legwork. It takes a lot of ide- ideation. It needs shaping and uh, perfecting and, and, and stress testing. Absolutely. Um, when you look back at your 15 years at Cognizant, I know that you, you guys did a lot of primary research um, that led to you know, a lot of um, big ideas and, and the acclaim that came with it from the yeah. extensive marketing you did. Do you, um, what, what's your thoughts on how much primary research, the, the importance of primary research, I guess, to thought leadership over the rest of this decade? Is it going to be less important, about the same, more important, and, and why? Yeah, no, I think everybody's entitled to their opinion, but not the facts. And if you have facts to really support your argument, you're always going to be in a stronger position to be able to convey the best and brightest that uh, you really want to share with the marketplace. And, you know, what I've found over time is, you know, and this is just through some, some great activation and uh, monitoring of thought leadership, that thought leadership that contains facts and figures always performs better. It, it's a truism of our field. You know, you can write something that has a, a good point of view and perhaps maybe has some secondary research to back it. 
But if you don't have your own facts and figures that are gleaned and, and analyzed and put into a context that will resonate with the audience, you know, you're pushing the snowball uphill. And, you know, what I've found with the projects that we've done is that people just take them more seriously when they're research-based. And when you have examples that are, you know, in some shape or form, either in lockstep with the research or somewhat contrarian, you know, the facts say this, but the reality is something different. And, you know, the, the, the gulf between the two is always an interesting story. You know, when you can write the, the piece about man-biting dog, it's always going to capture more attention. And what do you say to the companies that um, when they say, yes, we, we agree that we need facts to support our points of view, but, you know, we'll, we'll use Forrester data or Gartner data or some other uh, research firm's data to support what we have to say. What, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, when you look at it, those companies are very, they're held in very high repute. They, they certainly do great work, but there are some limitations to A, how you use their data. They don't want to be coming off as a mouthpiece for somebody else's point of view. They wanted to come from them. So there's some very tight restrictions to how you can use the facts and figures that are generated through those kinds of sponsored thought leadership initiatives. The second thing is that you know when you rely, when you outsource your thought leadership, yeah, you can get the facts and figures, but sometimes the learning in terms of creating the survey instrument and sitting down and interpreting the findings and figuring out how to tell the story based on those findings, there's incredible learning in all of that. And you, know, and you, you elevate your point of view by kind of going through that whole process and breaking through the barriers of sometimes uh, really a lack of understanding to, wow, look at what the data is telling us. This is our data. And then you can kind of tell the story you want to tell. It's not that facts be, you know, be damned, but it's ultimately you can pick and choose the facts that you think are going to resonate, that you have the most understanding about, that you think are going to be most relatable and will resonate with your audience. And it's not just a data dump. A lot of times the, you know, the research houses just want to kill you with data. And it's more about what the, what the data tells you and the story you can tell from it and the way you can leave it with your audience so that it really has impact. Right. And we both know the value of those unique insights, you know, uh, gleaned from data, unique because uh, you or a research company has gathered the data, but, but you and, and the organization you're working with has analyzed it. And exactly. It's yours. It's you know? yours. And, and, and ultimately, you know, when you, when you really put that much effort into it, you put them, the investment into it, and you have a, a really unique point of view, the whole team feels much more, I don't know, charged up about it. It, it, it. It's really something that you can launch and, and feel really good about. And, you know, again, activating it is very important. If, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there, hears it. But at the same time, I think when you spend that much effort, people become committed to it. There's a, there's a great deal of, um, of honor and respect that you can get because it's your data. You just don't get by saying, yeah, we produce this in partnership with a Gartner or a Forrester. They do great work, nothing against them. But there's just a lot more to cherish when it's your own work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, last question for now. Um, the big changes you see ahead uh, in this decade about how companies research, do research uh, for thought leadership purposes, how they activate, how they market, how they deliver, you know, the insights that they've gained from research. What, what, 
what are the big headlines in terms of? You know, well, I, I, I think in a world star for facts and for interpretation of those facts and for insight derived from those facts, research is going to be ever more important. I mean, I, I know we're all challenged, time challenged, but, but ultimately you can only really understand and, and reap a really true understanding of what's going on out there by studying it. You know, there are there are so many ways you can do it, and yes, it's hard. It's it's it's, a, but it's so important at the end of the day to really be able to wrap your head around something to say, you know, really, we really did our best to really get it to the bottom of this and to shape an argument and a, and a presentation of the finding such that you're elevating everybody's awareness because so much of this is about education, yeah. internally to your organization and externally to the market that you serve. So I think research is always going to be important. Now, how that research is turned into deliverables, I think that is going to change over time. I mean, sadly, people just don't have the time in the intestinal fortitude and the stomach for longer form reports. So we have to figure out a way not only to give people the deeper dive insights that they crave, that they need, but also to gin it up in a way that's going to have impact and allow people at a glance to really understand what's going on. And some of that is how you convey it in terms of how it's written, shorter form content. But a lot of it is about data visualization, how you can tell story with facts and figures, and then still have the time and the ability to show it in context with great examples and evidence of your ideas, uh, how they're playing out in the marketplace. So I think organizations are gonna really need to figure out that you, know, that you can take that body of work and carve it up in a variety of ways, that it's not one size fits all. There will be people who want to read the deeper dive reports, but unfortunately, those are fewer and fewer as time goes on. But people still will see value in the way you convey it in more digestible, more relatable ways. Yeah. And so I imagine that you, you think the career opportunities for people on, on both ends of this equation, the research for big ideas and thought leadership, and then the activation you know, bringing it to market and everything from data visualization to, you know, publication design and online publication design, uh, that there Absolutely. are going to be good opportunities in, in- Critical. And, and, and again, you and I have been around the block long enough that, you know, this is, like I said earlier, this is a team sport. You need to really create a really good dedicated team who can work very closely together to take good raw ideas and transfer them into relatable knowledge. And some people will gravitate towards the words, some people will gravitate towards the image, and it's a way of packaging it up and creating a means so that people can dive in at the level that they're most comfortable. And mm -hmm. everybody's gonna wanna jump into the deep water. Some people are gonna wanna, you know, kind of just, just surf and, and swim at a lower level. And ultimately, you'll, what you have to do is figure out a way that, uh, you, you create great value for the time and money spent. Yeah, which is uh, um, easier said than done, right? Or they need experts like us to guide them. Absolutely. Well, Alan, this has been a great conversation. And one thing I want everybody to know who's watching and listening in is that Alan is going to be moderating a future video plus podcasts with people he knows in the thought leadership universe. So, so we look forward to you as, uh, as the host of future episodes of Everything Thought Leadership as well. I look forward to doing it. I really enjoy it. You know, over time, what I've learned is that you learn as much from your interview subjects as sometimes you convey to them. 
And this is a win-win. The more you get these ideas out and discuss them and thoroughly hash over, you know, what it is that we think is important, everybody benefits. Everyone benefits. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Alan, for spending uh, this time uh, today. And we look forward to having you on future Everything Thought Leadership podcasts and, and, and videos, as well as, as talking to folks you know who excel at some piece of thought leadership. I really look forward to it. It's a lot of fun. Thank you, Alan.